Alright, but uh, like Will said, me and my wife recently lead the Youth and Family Ministry out there in the South region. And we've been, we've been, we came up on two years now of leading it out there. And um, uh, like I said, this I'm not like a big time preacher or anything out there. You know, they were asking for somebody from the Southwest to come preach. And Mark, Jacob, and Pierre were busy, so you guys got me. Uh, <laughs> so here I am. But... <laughs> But uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to have the opportunity to preach in front of you guys. I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful for this. And I just want to share just with this lesson today. And it's not just because of me, not really because of me, but because of just the scriptures that are going to be shared. I just really want you to zero in on what's being shared and what's going to be written on your heart from this lesson. Because you will find yourself somewhere within this lesson. That's something that I guarantee it. And it's not because of me, like I said, but because of God's word. And so, to start off, the title of today's lesson is, Does This Offend You? (laughs) Does this offend you? And when we hear that word offend, right, it's a very strong word. Because we get offended so easily now these days, right? You, you can't sneeze around somebody without somebody being offended, right? You can't say certain words, right? It's getting to the point where you can't even specify, oh, a gender these days, right? It's getting crazy out there in the world these days that everything's offensive. Culture-wise, politics, we all get offended. And in fact, when it comes to being offended, I, I always think about this picture, what it looks like trying to not offend somebody. That's what it looks like. Just trying to dodge the lasers, right? It's just like, man, you can't say a certain word without somebody just being, what's the thing, triggered or something, right? <laughs> like he, did, so that's what that's what we're dealing with today, right? And I want to turn to John chapter six to look at a so-called offensive mess, message Jesus delivered to his disciples. And we're going to be in John chapter six, starting in verse sixty. But just to give the backdrop of what's going on here, because we're coming towards the tail end of this chapter, this is where Jesus feeds the five thousand. And, of course, after he feeds people, like most people, when you feed them free food, they want to come back. And so after he fed them, they're all coming back. They're all like, okay, I want to be a disciple with you, Jesus. Like, what does it take? And they're thinking, like, okay, he's going to give us some more bread, some more fish. He's going to give us something else, right? And Jesus is just like, you know, it's not about this physical bread. It's not about this fish. It's about me, right? He tells them, like, you've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood if you really want to follow me. And then we see their response to what he teaches them right here in John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. All right. And it states, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were complaining about this, asked them, Does this offend you? Then what if you were to observe the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit in our life. But there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would not believe and the one who would betray him. He said, Dad, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. From, the moment, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompany him. Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, choose you the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscarot's son, one of the twelve, 
because he was going to betray him. So there's three people in this scripture here that I want us to look at today. And the first person I want to look at, which will be our first point, is the quitter. And the quitter gets exposed real quick from Jesus' offensive message. Right? As we see here, it states, Therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, they said, This teaching is hard. Who can accept it? And that's what gets me. It wasn't like they were confused about his message. It wasn't like, oh man, does this dude really want us to eat him or something? Like, it wasn't that. They know full well what he was trying to get at. They just didn't want to accept it. They said it was too hard. And sometimes we got a lot of hard teachers in our lives, right? Maybe when you're in school and you feel that first test, you're like, dang, I got to start studying more than what I'm doing. That's a hard teaching, right? Sometimes it's when you, be, when you pay that first bill and you're like, man, this is what I'm doing for the rest of my life, right? Paying bills, right? Sometimes it's paying different car notes, right? Or it's dealing with family issues. Like, man, these are hard teachings. I know for me a hard teaching I learned when I was like a young lad. And, um, and it was, uh, I got in trouble for something at school. And so, like, the teacher called up my mom. And I was like, please don't call my mom. She doesn't like to be taken away from her money when y'all call her. And she's going to whoop me for that. And she didn't listen. She, she called my mom. And so, of course, I knew, like, dang, my mom's going to beat me down and probably tell my dad and he's going to beat me down. And so on my way home, I'm, like, thinking of a plot to get out of this beat down. And then, I don't know if y'all know, but there's this movie back then called, like, uh, American Dreamer Story, the Jackson 5 movie. Uh, right? It's about the whole life of Michael Jackson and, you know, the lesser-known brothers. Um, but uh, there's a scene where Joe Jackson is coming after Michael, ready to beat him down. But then Michael hides underneath the bed, and he's out of Joe's reach. And so Joe can't whoop him. And so that scene always stuck with me, like, okay, when I go home and my mom comes for me, I'm going to go hide under the bed, and she's not going to be able to reach me. And so I come home with the plan ready, but then when I get home, I'm like, oh, man, it's like 3 o'clock. And I remember Dragon Ball Z's on. And I'm like... And if you don't know about Dragon Ball Z, this is during the t- if you don't know, if you do know, this was during the time of the Cell games. So I'm like, I gotta go watch this. This is the Cell saga. I can't miss this. And it's two episodes. So I forget all about my plan and I'm just stuck watching that. The next thing I know while I'm watching it, all I hear is a door fling open. Boy, what have I told you about embarrassing me in front of these white folks? And I'm like, oh no. And so then... I go off running like, oh, yeah, the plan. Let me go back to my room. And so I'm running, and I hear her just chopping after me, too. The apartment's not that big, but, you know, I'm making it seem like it's a big house, but it's not. Um, but so I'm jumping, and I go, and I dive underneath the bed. But then the teacher realized to me that I'm too big for this. I'm not as small as Michael was in that movie. And so, of course, she snatches me and just starts beating me down. Uh, and then they say, I know my, mom, my dad comes in. He, has, he doesn't even know about the incident yet. And he's like, what? What's going on? Don't worry about it, Chris. I'm tired. You continue beating him. And he just jumps in and starts beating me down, too. No questions asked. Uh, and so from that point, I saw, like, okay, I can't hide underneath the bed. I just got to get my act together when I go to school. Uh, I got to stop uh, embarrassing my mom in front of white folks. If you don't know, it's an unwritten black boy rule that don't embarrass your parents in front of white folks. Uh, and so that was a hard teaching for me. That was a hard teaching physically, emotionally, and mentally. It was a hard teaching. But there's a lot of hard teachings that we have to deal with when it comes from the Bible, right? When the Bible talks about denying ourselves, that's a hard teaching, right? When it talks about loving people regardless of what they do to you, that's a hard teaching, right? When it talks about sharing your faith, evangelizing out there, right? Making disciples, man, that's hard. Repenting, putting things to the side for the greater need, that's a hard teaching to accept. 
And that's the thing we have to ask ourselves. What are some teachings right now from Jesus that you quit on today? What are some teachings right now where Jesus has said something and you drew the line? You said, you know what, I, I just can't do this. This is too hard to accept. What are things that you're quitting on? Are you quitting on certain people these days? It's tempting to do. It's, it's tempting for me to quit on certain people, man. Being leading the youth and family ministry, some of these teens say some stuff, you're just like, dude, I'm done with this team, right? I'm done. I don't know if I can handle this. But I can't be that way. I got to live regardless, right? That's what Jesus calls us to do. And there's other things that we can quit on. It can be, you can quit on your leaders. You can quit on your kids. You can quit on your spouse. You can quit on sharing your faith. And it's so easy to think that since you're here today, right, like, oh, I'm good, Jamal. I didn't quit. I'm right here. You're preaching to the choir right now. Those people were there with Jesus as well. But they already had quit it in their heart. They were there, but they were in it just for some fish and some bread. That's what they were in it for. What are you in it for? Right? What are you in for following Jesus today? Because a lot of times we think like, man, I'm not quitting on Jesus. I'm just taking a break. I'm just taking a break right now. We treat our relationship with God like it's a hiatus on a TV show. Like, okay, I'm just going to take a break and then I'm going to come back to it like it's a trailer. Like, come faith, a relationship with God, right? Coming soon to a faith near you. And that's just not the case. We can't just sit here and be like, I'm taking a break with God. And then God's going to be like, okay, yeah, take your break. In hell, all right? That's where your break can be at. It's just like, oh, oh the, the word hell gets under some people, right? The word hell gets under some people. But that's a thing, guys. Hell's a thing. When you want to take a break from God, that's what you're choosing. That's what you're telling God. That's what those disciples said. Okay, I can't accept this, so now I got to go to Satan. Because the thing is, I don't ever hear nobody saying like, man, I need to take a break from sin. Man, I need to take a break from it. This is getting too hard out here. We gladly go to it, right? We skip to the loo over there to sin all the time, right? We gladly go over and don't be like, man, you know what? Maybe I should back off this and take a break. But when it comes to God, oh, I got, I got to take a break from this. There's just things in my life God just doesn't understand. And the thing is, we quit on somebody that you haven't even took time to get to know yet. It's like, why are you quitting on God? Well, I just think, man, there's just some things in there I just don't appreciate that he says in the Bible. What does he say? Well, I don't really know, but, you know, I just don't appreciate it. You say you don't appreciate something, and you haven't even took the time to get to know him. At least if you're going to quit on him, at least have a reason to quit on him. These people in here, they understood the teaching why they wanted to quit. Some of us in here, we just quit without even taking time to get to know him. We don't even take time to get to know God. We don't get time to really get to know Jesus. We just quit on Him. And there's even sometimes there's some serious events that happen in our lives that make us want to quit on God as well, right? It can be death in the family. Like, God, why would you allow this to happen? There can be a sickness going on, right? There's cancer, there's leukemia, there's all types of things out there. And you're just like, God, why is this happening? There can be financial troubles. Trouble in the household, marital relationships, broken relationships. But the thing is, we got to be honest and open about these things going on in our lives. Because if we're not, we're going to be bound to quit eventually on Jesus as well. And I think about this scripture in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10. And it states, if you fail under pressure, your strength is too small. And when I think about this scripture, I'm like, man, okay, what, what strength is it talking about? Like my own strength? And it's like, okay, no, that, that's not what the Bible ever talks about, right? The Bible always talks about relying on God and His strength. And a lot of times, we just, that's what is going on. When we crack under pressure, our strength in God is too small. That's just the basic, basics of it. Yeah. We can sit here and be like, man, I just can't take it when it comes to my leaders getting on me, man. Yeah, I got sin going on in my life, but why did they have to come at me like that? Why did they have to come at you like that? 
You're so focused on how they're coming at you more than you're focused on the sin going on in your life. Right? And that's the thing that's going on here. We fall under pressure because our strength in God is too small. If your strength was really big in God, relationships with people, it wouldn't affect you like that. Because your relationships with God. Yeah, there's going to be bad things that are going to happen. But when the pressure hits, how are you going to respond? Right? And when you look at it, you got to ask yourself, why do you follow Jesus? What scriptures are you basing following Jesus off right now? Or are you just going off a of hearsay? We, what message from God is the hardest for you to accept right now? Because the issue right now, the issue wasn't the harshness of Jesus' words. The issue was the hardness of their hearts. And that's the issue with us. The issue isn't the harshness of words. The issue isn't the harshness of how you get rebuked or corrected. The issue is your heart. You just can't accept that something's going wrong in your life and you need to be helped. You can't accept the fact that, man, I've messed up. You lessen your sin and make it seem like, can't we just let this blow over? Come on, man. Yeah, I slipped up. I had sex or something. I, I looked at porn. I cursed. I smoked. I went out partying too late. I got drunk. Can't we just let it fly, man? Can't we just let it, can't we just let it go? No. And the thing is, you get mad at somebody trying to correct you on it. You get mad at somebody trying to help you on it. And that's all you can look at. But yet, you don't ever get angry at your own sin. And that's the issue. And that's what leads people to quitting on God. Because they're focused on the wrong thing like these people in the passage. You're just expecting to get fed bread and fish all day. And not expecting nothing challenging. That's not how it is when it comes to following God. But I want to transition over to something else that God hates even more than a quitter. And there's a, that leads it to my second point, And that's the pretender. And in the pretender in verse 70 it says... Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. Now, I don't know about you, but calling somebody the devil is a very strong word, right? And like, he's just talking to the twelve disciples, the ones that are loved, and he's like, yeah, you guys are good, but one of you is the devil. And it's like, oh my goodness, okay, man. Like, dude, we didn't even leave you. Like, dude, we were just asking a question. Like, okay. And so, but that's the thing. Jesus already saw Judas for what he was. But the other disciples didn't. And a lot of times we could be like, man, why were the disciples so easily fooled? Well, think about it. Judas was out there baptizing just like the rest of them. He was casting out demons just like the rest of them. He was sharing his faith just like the rest of them. He was in worship just like the rest of them. He was tithing. I think he was tithing. Just like the rest of them. Right? He was doing everything just like them. But in his heart, he wasn't really there. And if you don't understand, like, okay, what does a pretender look like? I'll let this picture show you what a pretender looks like. Not the Michael Scott, but right there, right? 99.9% of all LOLs are said with a face like this. They're said with a face like this. Because I don't know about you, but I have yet to see somebody look at their message and laugh out loud. Like, I just haven't seen that. And I remember sending somebody like, oh, how far along are you? And they put, LOL, 10 minutes away. And I'm like, what was so funny? What was the LOL? I just asked how far along were you? I'm just like, did you really just crack up when I asked how far are you? Right? And that's what we deal with. A lot of people, LOL, but you're not really LOLing. You're really not. But there's LOLs that we have in our lives, right? When we come to church. There we go. There we go. But uh, but there's LOLs in our lives, right? 
There's different phrases that we say when we're here at church, right? Have you ever said to somebody, hey, brother, hey, sister, I'm going to pray for you, but you never pray for them, all right? Or how about like, oh, man, brother, we need to get some time together, man, really talk about what's going on, but you never hit them up and get that time, right? Or you say amen throughout service in your life, but you're not really saying amen for nothing. You're just saying amen. It's just based off the instinct at times, right? We have these, deep, deep, we have these phrases, right? I'll call you later, right? But it's all just becoming instinct. It's just our LOLs in life. And I think about even deeper things that go on when people just say like, man, I just don't like what the church teaches, right? Everybody just becomes these great theologians just like, I just don't like what the church teaches, how they go about things. And it's like, you don't like what the church teaches or you just don't like what God teaches? Just say what it is. Because we try to use these little blanket statements, right? These LOLs to cover up what our issue is with God, but, it's re- but we try to cover it up with people. We try to do this facade, this pretending. I know I go up to people, I ask them how they're doing sometimes, and they stay saying like, oh, things are going well, man. I'm in this many studies. I've been going to this events and stuff like that. I'm like, I didn't ask about your church attendance. I asked how you were doing with God. Because, I mean, with being a youth and family, I got teens who go to class all the time, but they still fill that class. So coming to church all the time doesn't mean that you're going to pass the salvation test. That's not what that means. Now you should come to church, but that's not what it's going to take to pass the salvation test. And when it comes to people, we always think about like, man, I would do better with God if people would just call me or talk me talk to me enough. Is that the issue or is your issue that you just don't know how to be more outward focused like God calls us to, right? You don't know how to serve with people. Are you still holding grudges against people, but you're just like, no, I'm cool with them. I love them. I would give, give a kidney for them. I just don't mess with them like that. Okay, just think about that argument with God. I'm cool with you, dude, but I just don't mess with you like that. So you got to go to hell. Like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm cool, but I love you, though. I love you, though. But hey, but, hey hell loves you a bit more, though, all right? Just think about if God used that statement just like you used that statement, right? It doesn't work that way. That's not what love is. That's not what forgiving is. That's not what really being about your faith is. Because sometimes I think a lot of times we can disciple the action instead of the heart. We, just, we focus so much on, hey, just don't do this, do that. But we don't ever get to the heart. If people don't have a conviction about it, they're going to do it just for a little while until they start questioning, why am I doing this? And then we start looking at people like, what happened? You were doing so well. That's because we were trying to give them our convictions instead of them forming their own. we got to bring people back to the scriptures. we got to let the scriptures expose people for what they are. Because if they aren't, they're going to be pretenders. Because the thing is, we can all be like Judas somewhere or somehow. We can all do it. And the thing is, guys, we can't be too far from him. Because he was casting out demons. I don't know about any of y'all, but I don't think any of us has ever cast out a demon. And he still was able to pretend. He was still able to pretend himself for three years until he finally got exposed for what he was. And a lot of times we can think like, man, but Jesus is still going to love me regardless, right? Well, when we look here in John chapter 2, this is how Jesus responds to people that are pretenders. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. And it states, Because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in Him. But Jesus didn't trust them because He knew all about people. No one needed to tell Him about human nature for He knew what was in each person's heart. These people, right? It says they trusted Jesus. They came to Him because of miraculous signs. But it said Jesus didn't trust them. Because he knew what was really going on in their hearts, right? He knew what was really going on. Because I think about it just like, man, what does that look like, right? And so I, I, th- I think about this clip right here to show you guys what it looks like when we try to be a pretender. 
Oh, thanks so much for inviting me to Bible study. Oh, you know what? I don't have my Bible. I forgot. Oh, I got it on my phone, obviously. Like, you know what I'm saying? I have a bunch of nice to wherever you go, have the Bible with you on your person. I pretty much have a whole New Testament at this point memorized. Just like Jeremiah 29 11 for I know the plan. John 4. Oh, one of my favorites. Siri, please turn the Bible to John 4. You have not opened your Bible in three months. Oh. Right? Sit there like, oh man, like, oh, John 4, my favorite scripture. But then you get called out, it's like, dude, you haven't opened your Bible for three months. And so I wonder what would happen when we we see God, we're coming to Jesus, like, oh man, I can't wait to come to you, man. I can't wait to come to you. And it's like, dude, you haven't got no time with me in the past six months. Don't come to me like that. Right? And even a lot of times I hear people just like, man, I wish we could barely be like the first century church. And that's the thing. I want to be just as much as the first century church, just like the rest of us in here. But a lot of times I don't think some people know what they're asking for. I don't think they realize how the first century church was. They think they look at Acts 2 like everybody was loving. They enjoy breaking bread with each other. And that's it, right? They think like, man, if we were like the Acts church, like, man, people, we wouldn't be getting corrected like this. People wouldn't be so harsh on our sin like this. Ananias and Sapphira lied about their tithe and then they died in front of people. How would that be in front of y'all if someone came and lied about that, right? Simon the sorcerer just asked about like, hey, what can I do? To, well, how much money can I get to get this gift of God? No one said, hey, you know, let's go disciple the brother over here and make sure he's taken care of. Peter said, no, you're done, dude. Get out of here. No, you have no part in his kingdom. You really want to go back to that? Because that's fine. We can be like that. That's fine. But the thing is, is that, do you know what you're asking for when you're like, man, can we really go back to how Jesus did it? Because as we saw here, when Jesus spoke his message, a lot of people walked away. Yeah. I wonder if Jesus preached that message in here today, how many people will still be sitting here today? Yeah. Right? Who would he really be exposed to for who they really are right now with his message? Because yeah. I think about in Ezekiel chapter 33. Ezekiel 33, verse 30 through 32. It says, Son of man, your people talk about you in their houses and whisper about you at their doors. They say to each other, Come on. Let's go hear the prophet tell us what the Lord is saying. So my people come, pretending to be sincere and sit before you. They listen to your words, but they have no intention of doing what you say. Their mouths are full of lustful words, and their hearts seek only after money. You are very entertaining to them, like someone who sings love songs with a beautiful voice or plays fine music on an instrument. They hear what you say, but they don't act on it. That's powerful, guys. I, every time I read that message, I'm like, that cuts me to the heart. Because yeah. he's like, man, they're all saying, come on, guys, let's go to the prophet, let's go to the prophet. But it's just a form of entertainment to them. It's just like he said, it's nothing but music to their ears where they listen to it, and then they go on about with their day. Right. And that's what the pretender does. They come here, they get the great worship, they hear a message, but that's all it was to them. It was just entertainment, and now they're looking like, okay, hey, guys, what do you want to go do? You want to go get some pizza or something? Like, the message just doesn't sit on the heart. They just want to go on and doing what they do. And even you got to ask yourself, okay, what else does a pretender look like? Man, you got to ask yourself, like, how are you around other places? How are you really? What side are you showing us today? Because I wonder how it is for people when you go to those conferences, right? Those retreats, right? Or something like a Hope Youth Corps, right? And you're really just out of yourself all the time. You're worshiping like crazy all the time. You're building relationships all the time. But if I wonder if I went to your service, would you be worshiping like that in your ministry, right? Would you be worshiping like that? When it comes to building relationships, you build it in less than two weeks, but what about that kid that's been sitting in your ministry for years that no one's talked to, right? You do all these things for these two weeks, this facade that you put on, but how are you really when you go back to where you're at? 
Because that's what Jesus is getting at here. Because we all can be like, man, if Jesus came like, oh man, Jesus, I can't wait to be with you. Dude, I don't trust you. I know what's going on with you. I know what's going on in your heart. And that's the thing you got to ask yourself. What is the true reason for you being here today? Is the Lord's word just another form of entertainment for you? And so the final person that I want to look at today, there's an upside to all this. And the third and final point is the true follower. There we go. <laughs> the true follower. And in, uh, starting in verse 67 back in John chapter 6, it says, Therefore, Jesus said to the twelve, You don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, who will we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And man, the thing I love about this Christian is when Jesus, I just imagine Jesus looking at them after everybody else leaves, just like, are you guys leaving too? Like, dang, Jesus, like, you're losing everybody, dude. You might want to calm it down some. You might just want to calm it down some. But we see Peter's reaction, and that's what stands out to me is when he says, Lord, when he says, Lord, who will we go to? Because the thing is, you got to look at Peter's life. Peter has a wife. He says, who will I go to? Peter, you have a whole wife at your house. You have a job back home that's fishing. It may not be, the, it may not be a glamorous job, but you got a steady job. you got family because we see from Jesus healing the mother-in-law, so you got family. you got friends because of all the homeboys you were running with. So everything we want right in life, right? Money, relationships, family, friends. And Peter said, it's nothing. There's no, I, that's nothing to go back to. A whole wife, and he said, I have nothing to go back to. I can imagine me saying that to Risa and Jesus about Jesus, I got nothing to go back to if I go home. And Risa looking like, dude, I'm right here. Right? And but that's where Peter was at. Peter was just like, this is what it means to follow Jesus. Even if I have all those things, nothing can compare to can, can compare like a relationship with God. Nothing can compare to this. And that's what we need to see here when it comes to being a true follower. That's what Peter saw. And I think of the other follower as well with Matthew. And Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Now Matthew had a good job. He was a tax collector. Now was he respected by a lot of people? I mean, he may have been feared, but a lot of people didn't appreciate tax collectors, but he had a good job. He had money. Even when we see that he invited Jesus over, he had friends. He already had a lot. But he said, this is nothing compared to what Jesus has for me. He put it all to the side for what Jesus has for him. And that's what I want us to look at here with the first thing that I see, the three practices I take away from it when it comes to his disciples, they didn't have a plan B. There was no plan B. And that's what we're taught in life a lot, right? Is to have a plan B for schools, right? For jobs, right? For different things, you've got to have a backup at all times. But sometimes we can let that mindset seep into the church. We can think like, man, what's my plan B if God doesn't work out? We can start getting that nostalgic feeling like, man, I remember back when I used to sin like this back in the day. I remember when I used to drink like this, when I used to be out like this. Start having this nostalgic feeling when it shouldn't be that way. There shouldn't be a plan B when it comes to following the God. It should be God or bust. Just like Peter, right? There's nothing to go back to, Jesus. All we have is you. You can't have a plan B in life. You can't go looking for answers. You've got to seek the truth. And what I mean by you can't look for answers and seek the truth is when you're looking for answers, you're just looking for something that's going to suit your own desires until you're fulfilled with it. When you're looking for the truth, you're willing to put anything that you believe to the side for what the truth really is. That's what Peter and that's what Matthew and the other disciples saw. That's what they realized. Like, this is the truth. Even though I may have different desires, this is the truth right here. This is what I need to come to. Because if not, 
Satan's just going to have a foothold in our heart. When you start thinking like, man, should I leave? Satan already has that foothold. When you think like, man, should I stay and be a disciple? Your heart's already out the exit door. Your heart's already out the exit. And then the second practical I feel from the follower is that the follower sets a Christ-like example worthy of imitation. Right? That's what, as a disciple, that's what you're supposed to set. As a true follower, you're something that people can look up to and be like, man, that's worthy of imitation right there. Because we start from the disciples, right? From Peter, that's where we want to be, right? We want to be able to say them words like, man, where else am I going to go, right? Where can I go? You want to be that, because the thing is, we influence people some way or another. The thing is, is it going to be a good or bad influence? You're thinking like, who can I impact, Jamal, right? Even as a teen, you're thinking, who can I impact? I'm just a teen. You can impact a lot of people. Just as you heard from Daniel, right, sharing about just our special contribution out there in Monterey, they're able to have a whole teen camp now. And the thing is, we think about what is my money going to? That's what it provided. It provided kids out there in Mexico to have a spiritual week out there at camp that back then they weren't provided. Something that we get all the time here is something that they just got provided just from that little money that you shared, right? The little money you thought that wouldn't have an impact. So the example you set, it has to be worthy of imitation. It has to be a Christ-like example worthy of imitation. Because I think about the example my parents set for me growing up in the church. I think about all the countless times they took me to teen events from far around. And y'all parents know about driving to teen, teen events. Yeah. Ain't never a teen event down the street. If so, it's very rare. But most of the time, it's 30, event, it's 30 minutes down the road. It's 30 minutes down the road, right? And I just think about all the sacrifices they made for me. Even the different people in the Bible talk group I used to have, like Marshall Ness, Jamie Parker, Eugene Holmes, Jason Lugo, all those men that set this example of me that, man, that I wanted to imitate. And there's people in here that you can imitate, but there's also people that want to imitate you. And that's what you got to see as being a true follower, is that you got to set a Christ-like example worthy of imitation. And the final practical I want to hit on is that, uh, is, <coughs> my bad, is that, uh, is that, uh, my bad, I'm getting tongue twisted here. But the last practical is that a person has a heart for the loss. They have a heart for the loss. And I think about that in Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. And it says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul was so willing to save the lost that he would cut himself off from Christ just so they can make it. He would let himself go to hell just so everybody else would be safe if, he was, if that was possible. That's a crazy heart to have, right? I'm like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm trying to get in myself over here. And he's talking about, dude, I'll, I'll cut myself off if I can get you guys in. If that was biblically possible, I would cut myself off if I could get you guys in. And that's the thing. Do we have that type of heart to save people? Do we have that type of heart to really seek after the lost to be like, man, I would give up everything just so this person could be saved. But a lot of times we have excuses, right? We have a lot of excuses to why we can't do it. We're tired. We're busy. Yeah, I shared my faith last month. I'll get to it next month or something, right? But that's not the case. A true follower, they have a heart to see the lost saved. They have a heart for that. And that's what they go after. Even like, and that's what we want to imitate here from what we read from Paul. It's like, man, what do you need to do to get to that point to where you will be willing to cut yourself off? Because Paul's just imitating Jesus because he saw Jesus cut himself off from God so we can have another chance. He saw Jesus take all our sins in just so we can have another chance. So Paul's only imitating what he learned from Jesus. So that's the thing. We have to be like that as well. 
And so hopefully, hopefully something stuck with you here today. I appreciate my time with you guys here. But the question to ask yourself today is which one of these three are you? Are you the quitter, the pretender, or the true follower? And does this offend you? Thank you. Come on, man.